Artificial intelligence is possibly the most important thing that's happening in technology right now. And 80%, 80% of the problem is associated with data. And right now, synthetic data is essentially the only solution that's giving people control over that data set. When we talk about like how big could this opportunity space be, it's as big as AI. And not just where AI is, but where it can go. Welcome to the Space Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Anderson, founder and managing partner at Space Capital, a seed stage venture capital firm investing in the space economy. We're actively investing out of our third fund with 100 million under management. You can find us on social media at Space Capital. In this podcast, we explore what's happening at the cutting edge of the entrepreneurial space age and speak to the founders and innovators at the forefront. This is the Space Capital Podcast, and today we're speaking with Nathan Kuntz, founder and CEO of Rendered AI. It's a company developing a common application framework to enable the production of physics-based synthetic data sets for AI training and validation. We led the company's seed round earlier this year, investing alongside a great group of investors, and we are incredibly excited about what Rendered's building. You may know Nathan from his previous role as CEO of Chimeta, Bill Gates-backed metamaterials company that's building innovative antennas for next-generation satellite communications. Nathan also has a PhD in physics from Duke, and all of this makes him uniquely qualified to help us understand synthetic data, what it is, and why its generation is so central to artificial intelligence. Nathan, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for the wonderful introduction. Yeah, so... um. Look, synthetic data is a relatively new technology, and I imagine that there's many in our audience that aren't familiar with it. So can you help us start at the basics and understand what it is and why we need it? Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about synthetic data, it's actually useful to just start with artificial intelligence. The community has a broader awareness, but the thing to really understand about artificial intelligence is it's essentially just software, right? It's, it's also software. The, the difference is it's like software that's written in data instead of written in code. And so all of the behavior of artificial intelligence algorithms is, is ultimately driven by the data that is used to train it. And because of that, the time spent and the expense of building those algorithms is about 80% dedicated to, to getting access to data sets. And that's 80% to today. And so there are still challenges that many uh, of the companies face when building those algorithms. And they can't sort of spend more time on it. It's already the, the largest expense. And there's, there's several reasons why. One is that the data sets themselves are, have to be large for effective training. Recently, the government came out saying they need 50 million images for every object they're trying to identify to build accurate just 60% accurate detection scenarios. And then that becomes very expensive when you start thinking about the data collection and annotation, having humans come in and actually uh, try to tell a computer what's in there. You still miss a lot of rare events and edge cases, which are incredibly important uh, when it comes to algorithm performance. And you're also completely at a loss if you actually wanted to build algorithms to understand how next generation sensors, things that don't exist yet, could be built. And so that's where, that's where synthetic data comes in. So what we do in order to avoid all of those challenges is we actually focus on essentially using our understanding of, of simulation, our understanding of physics 
to build those data sets from scratch. So instead of saying, instead of sort of taking pictures, handing them to a human and saying, you know, what's in this picture and having them, you know, draw boxes in order to annotate them, we tell a simulation what's in the environment, what should be in the picture, and then we ask the computer, what should the picture look like? So we ask that inverse problem. And in doing that, we get kind of complete control over those data sets and it opens up completely new workflows and, and things that you can do with AI. So, look, the artificial intelligence machine learning is sort of permeating its way out into every conceivable business and workflow, right? Countless applications are being developed. It's, I mean, what are the big use cases? Autonomous vehicles come to mind, but many, many others. And so, machine learning algorithms are trained with an incredible amount of data. And sometimes it's difficult to obtain this data for different reasons. So you mentioned a couple of opportunities, rare events and edge cases, cold start problems for new sensors and things. But there's also opportunities in in restricted data, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's another area that we see, you know, data restrictions preventing people from getting access to data sets they might otherwise need. And, and, and frankly, you know, hey, this is the space podcast. It turns out geospatial data of various types can often be restricted for security reasons. And that, that can be really limiting in terms of being able to identify some of the content that you'd like to. We just recently did some work with Orbital Insight where we were demonstrating through leveraging synthetic data, we can improve performance of their algorithms by two to three X over real data alone. And that, you know, to, to have tried to do the same thing simply through a data collection campaign wouldn't have just been incredibly expensive, but it would have led to, you know, all sorts of questions around, is that data something that is allowed to be on public service? So there's also data labeling problems. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, sure. So, so data labeling co- problems come in, in two varieties. The first and the ones that we're, we're maybe most familiar with are the ones where a human being sort of doesn't quite get it right or, or maybe just doesn't get it as consistent. And, and, and you find this, and you, you mentioned autonomous vehicles, you find this in autonomous vehicles a lot. So if you, if you ask somebody, for instance, to, to draw a box around a car, that seems like a that seems like a pretty straightforward thing. Everybody should be able to draw a box on a car and get consistent results. Only it turns out that when you do that, you know, some people include the tires and some people don't. Some people include shadows and some people don't. And so you end up with these inefficiencies and then you get like, well, well you said car. Did you mean, did you mean truck too? <laughs> and yep. so you inevitably end up with, with some inconsistencies just by virtue of the fact that you're using humans and and they often you know will actually just get things wrong as you start to move into imagery that's that's a little harder to discern and you know if we talk again about GIS data or EO imagery satellite imagery then it can be tough to tell and so you people are using a judgment or maybe maybe using their knowledge of what's happening around an object in order to try to label it and they get it wrong even more and so all of that turns into noise in the algorithm training and is one of the leading causes of, of errors in AI. But that's all assuming that a human could look at the output and tell what's in there from the beginning. And it turns out as you get into other types of sensors, if you think about X-ray and radar sensors, you know things that are really, really important for industrial applications and increasingly for consumer applications, a human can't look at that data stream and tell what's happening at all. Um, you have to, you really do have to know what was there through some other means. That's an incredibly limiting factor when it comes to building AI algorithms with those sort of novel sensor types as well. 
Interesting. And so we need more tools for data generation, right? We've just walked through four different areas in which synthetic data can be used. What you're doing, you're generating physics-based synthetic data sets. Is that right? What does that mean? That's right. So maybe it's helpful to contextualize that sort of with the alternative. One of the things people do when they lack data is they, they just try to create more data like the data that they already have. So they say kind of there, there are applications and techniques principally based on what's called the generative adversarial networks or GANs that can create more of data that essentially you already have. And, and that can be useful in some circumstances. The most well-known is when you have maybe privacy concerns, so you can't actually use the exact data, although there's problems uh, with GANs not actually being effective and blocking privacy issues. But nonetheless, that's, that's an example of a circumstance where recreating a data set and maybe anonymizing it uh, can be helpful. But the reality is it doesn't, it doesn't generate any new information, right? You haven't introduced new knowledge to your data set. So what we do instead is we really focus on physics-based simulation, where essentially we're, we're using this, this knowledge of physics, this knowledge of how sensors actually extract information to generate data sets. And, and we use all sorts of physics simulators. So uh, computer graphics, it, it turns out, is a type of physics simulator, right? It's a type of, of light simulation. But our platform is really built with just a variety of different different types that can capture different effects, everything from, from optical to radar to X-ray and, and others. All right, so we've talked a bit about synthetic data. So we need to generate more data. Synthetic data is helping out there. We also yep. need more tools to carry out the engineering of that data. And yep. so is that where Rendered comes in? What's, what are you building? Yeah, it turns out it's easy to say, you know, the words, hey, we're going to simulate what the sensor does. It turns out really easy to say, much, much harder to do. And if, if you step back and you think, okay, well, what, what do I have to do? What are all the things that I really need to do to be, to be effective at that? So I need to have a, a physics engine, right, that, that captures whatever's happening in the scene. I need a, a digital twin of the sensor that I care about. I need content, so usually that comes in the form of, of 3D models, uh, procedurally generated content. I need something for world building. I don't need to build one world, it turns out. I need to build maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of worlds, right? Because I don't want a image. I want many of them. And so I need to have a procedural tool for creating that diversity. All of that takes a massive amount of compute, so you need to have some form of, of compute orchestration to manage that. Then you need to annotate it, right, in order to fill it into the pipeline. Now, I don't want to just give you the laundry list. The point is, to do it all well, the, the full stack is very challenging for any sort of one company to be able to manage. And so what we've done with our platform is we take as much of that as, that is horizontal as possible and build it into the platform so that you can plug in so you're not, you're not having to worry about computer orchestration, right? You don't have to worry about how you're going to define that diversity of scenes or annotations or AI pipelines. And then we start to build content on it. And the power comes in both ways. So you get that existing platform, but then you get standardization around how the sensor can be represented, how the 3D models get dropped into these scenes. And by virtue of that standardization, we see sharing and, and the ability to really pull data, pull content from all of these different sources. And when all of that starts to come together, now you can take, you know, what otherwise would be a, maybe a 
two year plus investment from, from a company and, and turn it into a couple of weeks to go from existing content to, to something that's really uh, solving a problem for them. How is it being done before rendered? Yeah, so a lot of, first of all, super new industry. So synthetic data, there's not that much to point to, but I'd say there's there's two paradigms other than renders that, that we see. The first is, let's call it the Tesla paradigm, which is a company goes full stack and builds a solution specific to what they need, right? Their sensors, their environments. And if you're Tesla, you can do that, right? They've plowed billions of dollars in, into those simulations. And so, you know, that makes sense. We have not been trying to displace those places where somebody has already put, uh, you know, billion dollars of sunk cost into their synthetic data capabilities. The other is, and what we see more of in the startup ecosystem, are small companies that will essentially build data sets as a professional service. So, so they have maybe some 3D models, some procedural content, and they'll, they'll pipeline that together for you if you ask them for a, a particular problem. But there's two, well, there's three issues with that. One is it typically is sort of a one-off data set. And so there's not like, if, you, if you're trying to detect stop signs and then later you realize you need to detect stop signs with IV on it, you know, it's not like it's in there or extensible. There's nothing to really uh, be done with it. The second is for most customers, you know, they need to be able to add those features and understand those features as they understand their business problems over time. So, you know, different customers have different needs. And ultimately, this is a really important innovation tool for companies. And so it's, I think it's hard to work with a third party. But the, the third and, and, and most important is that you just don't get that standardization across the industry. So just how we were, we were just talking about how, you know, valuable it is to have digital twins with a lot of different sensors all following the same standard and have uh, 3D content all in the same environment so that people can pull from it. That standardization doesn't happen when it's when it's done in, in one-off professional services. And so that's where, you know, that's where a lot of the power of, of bringing a platform together comes from. Yeah, difficult to scale a model like that. It's um, really a bespoke sort of consulting service, which happens a lot in early sectors like this, right? Where the customers need a lot of education and hand-holding. I mean, in terms of, you know, this is a very new technology and they might not be aware of it or, or how to plug it in. That's right. I mean, and, and, you know, there's, how should I say, there's nothing wrong with consulting services. Consulting services are important, but they're different businesses. And, and I think if you were looking for a parallel, you know, there's good ones to point to between what we're doing and, and maybe what those companies are doing. And, and the one that I think is, is cleanest is, is Salesforce. Right. There are hundreds and maybe thousands of companies that do sort of specific Salesforce implementations or will tailor Salesforce to your particular business needs. But Salesforce provides the platform, right? Provides that platform, which allows for that community and that ecosystem to exist and be efficient. And so that's the role that Rendered is really focused on playing. That's a beautiful thing. So there's clearly a lot of money to be made here, right? This is a new technology. We're tracking. 18 competitors in synthetic data. 13 of those were founded in the last four years. Yeah. They've collectively raised half a billion dollars and are collectively valued at five and a half billion dollars. One of those companies is publicly traded. So definitely a lot of investor interest, a lot of momentum, and very quickly over the last few years. I'm curious, what is driving that? And how do you think about the market potential for what you do? Is it the entire AI market? 
Well, Chad, I'm going to be a little bit bold here because I think it's important to be clear. Artificial intelligence is possibly the most important thing that's happening in technology right now. And 80%, 80% of the problem is associated with data. And right now, synthetic data is essentially the only solution that's giving people control over that data set. So like, when we talk about like how big could this opportunity space be, yeah, it's it's as big as it, it's as big as AI, and not just where AI is, but where it can go. This is how we get control over our AI algorithms is by getting control over our data. So, drilling into the market a little bit, who is going to benefit from this? Then, you know, what industries to sort of help make it real for people who are listening? What industries are early adopters here and are starting to use synthetic data sets. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you mentioned autonomous vehicles, and then that was where a lot of synthetic data generation really started. It's not been a focus for us for, for some of the reasons that I already highlighted. So the other areas where we see a lot of adoption, I'd say GIS and Earth observation broadly. So whether that's for insuretech or, or government or crop management, artificial intelligence is really crucial. You simply can't take, you can't image the earth multiple times a day and pass that in front of humans to get an understanding of what's going on. So that needs to be done in an automated way. Just too much data. Way too much data. Way too much data. And, And that's, you know, even as I say that, sort of, I think what we picture is visual information. But when you start to say, okay, but we're going to have hyperspectral and we're going to have SAR and, you know, it's a, it's way, way too much data to be able to process in, in a manual way. And so all of those pipelines, which, which are feeding everything from insurance innovation to future crop management to climate change detection, you know, methane leaks, et cetera, all of that is being automated, needs to be automated in order to be effective. We see the same thing in in robotics, almost by definition, right? Robotics have some level of autonomy, and uh, similar in, in those cases, you you often have a more controlled environment. But the more that the robotic solutions bleed into uncontrolled environments, the more that synthetic data becomes really, really crucial for detecting exactly what we talked about edge cases and, and different scenarios. And again. It's not just RGB cameras on that. So there's a wide variety of sensors that are used in that environment. We see strong demand from things like uh, security imaging. There's a huge uh, kind of closed-circuit television market out there. Same problem. Vast volumes of data being generated. But you don't actually want to be observing everything, right? You just want to be alerted when there's actually a problem. And so we've seen that pop up over and over again. The area that I think is up and coming for synthetic data and and will become really, really exciting is medical. Because if you think about an industry where the diversity of imagery is so broad and the impact of ineffective or incomplete data when it comes to things like bias or poor decisions is going to be so painfully felt, I think the healthcare industry is right at the top of the list. Uh, it's it's a little slower moving than some of the earlier adopting industries we just mentioned, but uh, I think there's big opportunity there long term. Fascinating. And so some of these are near, medium term, and longer term sort of things. We talked a little bit about the need for customers or, or potential customers are starting to understand how they can benefit from synthetic data sets. But 
the geospatial intelligence market, the satellite market, is eager, already eager for the capabilities that Rendered offers, right? I mean, this seems like a really interesting beachhead market for you and one that you know really well. Absolutely. So, so two things. One, you know, the market is is needing it desperately for all the reasons that we just highlighted. That was a big reason why it's been a focus uh, for our company and why we were so so excited to have you guys uh, lead our, our seed round. Like a lot of other technologies, right? Does uh, the space is is leading the way, right? We're really learning a lot by using synthetic data in a space environment that we can then bring bring back to Earth. My own experience with space and how it sort of led to rendered is that I was working with with Chimeta. I, I left there in 2018, but kept seeing companies that had really, really clever sensor design plans. And 201, they would say, we're going to, you know, now that we've got that sensor designed, we're going to put it on a bunch of satellites, we're going to collect a bunch of imagery, and then we're going to turn that into automated insight generation. We're going to sell the insights, right? Chad, I'm sure you've seen at least a thousand pitches like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> And, and, the, and the question would always be, okay, well, how do you, and this, every entrepreneur needs to know to do this, how to do this, like, how do you sell that before you've actually spent whatever it is, $50, $100 million on satellite constellation? And, and what you have to be able to do is demonstrate that you can generate those insights, show exactly how that can be done, use what is presumably simulated imagery to sort of get your customer base going with a complete solution before you actually start getting that raw data back to earth. And, and, you know, there was no solution to help them do that. So the actual genesis of the company was, was me writing a white paper on how we needed a a platform to help people uh, solve that problem, really the systems engineering problem at the end of the day. And that led to, you know, a broader understanding of what was going on from a, from an edge case standpoint and to really seeing that this is a broader issue than, than satellite imagery. It was something that was affecting many, many different fields. Who are your customers? Who exactly are you selling it to? Is it data scientists? Is it engineers at a company? I mean, when you're approaching a customer, it's one thing to get the CEO of the company to say, oh yeah, well, I mean, I, I or the product person to say, I can see the benefit of synthetic data, but who's actually buying this? Yeah, absolutely. So so for the most part, it is it's computer vision teams that are the buyers at the end of the day. It's, it's the technical buyer is typically the the head of a computer vision team. The important thing to reflect on, though, the important thing to understand in making that sale is that you do need to think about not just the computer vision user. There's another important user here, which is the synthetic data engineer, which is the person who's going to take you know, that existing content, but then extend it and continue to, to push it forward, either within a customer organization or on behalf of a customer organization. And so we've built out a tool set that addresses both sides of that equation. I'm interested to get your take on something that was reported on probably a few months back and training data for video surveillance um, Mm -hmm. and deepfakes. So deepfake satellite imagery poses a, a really not so distant threat. When we think of deepfakes, we think of you know people and um, Tom Cruise videos and things, but we yeah. don't we don't often imagine deepfake geography. But people have been lying with maps for a long time. Yep. Fake satellite imagery could be used to misdirect. I'm just kind of curious, you know, your take on on this and how synthetic data can help. Yeah. So I mean, I think you you want to think about our role here as a little bit like white hat hackers. Right. Because at some level, the synthetic data sort of is its own kind of, of deepfake. 
right? We're creating, we're creating fake images of the earth. In principle, that tech could be used for ill. But but what actually happens when you start to get your arms around it, and as we provide the tools to the good guys, is, is they can then use those tools to really better differentiate between between the two types of imagery. And so we we integrate actually a, a variety of different post-processing steps that are common to deepfakes into our platform in order to reach hyperrealism with the output. But what that also does is it empowers our customers to sort of be able to do deeper levels of comparison because now they have an AB, right? They can look at the maybe original synthetic imagery and, and, and deepfake imagery and start to find the connections between them. So we think we have a we think we have a role to play there and, and can help people better identify where those gaps are. Great. So you are, like I mentioned at the beginning of this thing when I was introducing you, very unique background, seemingly purpose-built for to, to lead a company like this, but you've also built an impressive team around you of some really fantastic people. You recently added a, a COO and a head of product. I'm wondering if you'd like to talk a little bit about them and, and how they're helping. It's so important to have a phenomenal team, and we've been really, really lucky at Rendered. Yeah, so Chris Andrews uh, just joined us out of Esri. He was leading a lot of their, well, essentially all of their 3D content and 3D team and, and heading up some of their most important, most innovative uh, products there at Esri. And so he's been a tremendous, a tremendous ad. We actually continuing to pull a little bit on that vein. We, we've recently added one of the engineers who did a lot of the original AI work at Esri uh, to our team so that we can help our customers learn about how to integrate AI pipelines into their into their GIS use. So those have both been phenomenal ads. We've got we've got some additional ones that are coming on pretty soon, but it's been great to be able to pull together a, a team of, of real world leaders uh, to, to get this job done. Great to hear it. I mean, the team is so important for any organization, but particularly at the early stage like Rendered is. But in addition to the to the team, you've also assembled a world class customer advisory board. Can you tell us about them? You know how it came about and how they support the company. Yeah, absolutely. So both uh, Jimmy Crawford, who we talked about briefly earlier, and John Wolfis, the uh, founder of Twilio, and the, and the guy who really headed their product through their growth, have joined us in, in the advisory board. And it's been really helpful to hear from them. So really, uh, Jimmy reflecting on the customer set that we have been focused on in this call and, and in, in much of what we're doing right now, which is in this in this geospatial analysis market. Uh, but then Twilio, I think, is, is such an interesting story for, you know, one of these really powerful developer tools. So for, for those in the audience maybe who aren't familiar, uh, Twilio essentially powers all of the automated sort of text messages that that you get. So if you're if you're doing things for like maybe two-factor authentication, right? That That's powered by Twilio. And they built integrations with a lot of the cell phone industry and made those tools available to developers. And so we've been learning a lot from, from John about kind of what it looks like to build those tools and make them effective in the hands of developers. Great folks to be involved. So what is next for Rendered? You're rolling out a new version of the platform? Yeah, so to date we've sort of been keeping the platform to ourselves, right? We've been we've been building applications on it, we've been supporting our customers with the platform and as we uh, as we end the year here, we're actually going to start opening it up to more people to build their own applications on top of it. So we're excited about this transition. We've made a huge number of infrastructure advancements to take, you know, what was otherwise really just an in-house workflow to manage those applications and and make it something that can be public. And so 
this coming year, and especially in the first six months of next year, we're not just going to be opening that up, but then we're going to be open sourcing actually a number of different applications to teach people how to use synthetic data. Uh, my impression is uh, there are a lot more people out there that need synthetic data than necessarily have the, the programming skills to generate it. We can provide the platform, but we also want to provide them with a lot of content to get started. And so those things are going to start making their way out into the ecosystem as we get into the new year. Awesome. Is synthetic data going to replace real data then? How much real data do we need to train our algorithms? Yeah, so, so there's no physical law that says, you know, you have to have a certain amount of real data. I, I would say right now, there's certainly a lot of benefit to using some real data. And, and different people come to different conclusions about the percentage. I mean, we've found that sort of even just 10% real data can be, can be really helpful in some of the work that we've done. But I think I think there's just there's a lot of economic and technical pressure to to get to more and more synthetic data for for obvious reasons, right? Much lower cost, and then you just have control over it. You know what's in it, which you don't actually do when it comes to real data. And so I think we're going to see those natural market forces and technical forces push us to increasing levels of of synthetic data use. Uh, Gartner came out with a report recently saying that. In about three years, 60% of the data we use for AI would be synthetic. And that by the end of the decade, so by the time we hit 2030, essentially 100% would be synthetic. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, there's certainly, there's nothing preventing that from, uh, from becoming true. And you know, I think Rendered is, is providing some tools which will help accelerate that adoption. So how can listeners learn more about Rendered? Sure. So um, you can go to our website, of course, rendered.ai. We're becoming increasingly active on social media. We've been kind of quiet for a while. And so we're going to be sharing uh, quite a bit more as we go forward. And of course, uh, you're welcome to uh, to email us if you want to get in touch. So info at rendered.ai, or you can go to our website and, and just fill out a simple form there. And we'd be happy to engage and, and let you know more. Yeah, it's been great to have you on. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the Space Capital Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you're interested in learning more about investing in the space economy, I invite you to visit our website, spacecapital.com, where you can get access to more industry-leading insights and learn how you can join the entrepreneurial space age.